Thank you so much to our children's choir. You greatly blessed our hearts today. Thank you, Randy and Kendra and the hosts of volunteers that serve so well on a weekly basis. Uh, parents, grandparents, let me take a few moments and encourage you. If your children or grandchildren are not plugged in to our student choirs, we have a preschool choir, uh, a children's choir, and a student choir, all that meet on Sunday afternoons from five to six. Uh, if uh, what you just heard isn't enough of encouragement to have your kids or grandkids plugged in, let me try to encourage you to do so. What an incredible joy to hear our children sing, and what a wonderful ministry to weave into our children's hearts the truths of who God is and what God has accomplished on our behalf through the person of Christ. Let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus, as we continue to make our way through this glorious revelation of God to His people. We have concluded Exodus chapter 17, and we start this morning with chapter 18. And chapter 18 serves in some ways as a bridge between what has taken place from uh, chapter 5 through chapter 17, and then as we start with chapter 19, and we make our way toward Sinai. The narrative here in chapter 18 is somewhat different than the narrative that we see communicated thus far. You'll notice a few differences here in this passage of Scripture. Israel, of course, has come out of Egypt. They've come out of slavery, and they've been doing what good, godly Christian people tend to do best. We tend to complain best, right? But this text of Scripture is also situated right after a very interesting encounter. You'll remember the encounter from the end of chapter 17 that we saw last week when Amalek and, the, and, his, and his group of people come out after the nation of Israel. They're a pagan collection of people. They're a group of people who do not believe that the Lord is God, and they seek to engage Israel in warfare. And there's this battle that ensues between the nation of Israel and Amalek, and you know how that narrative concluded. The Lord provides victory for the nation of Israel as He, and He alone, fights on Israel's behalf. And we come to chapter 18, and we see again a man from a pagan group of people called the Midianites. Now, we have seen the Midianites already in the text of Scripture, so I ask you, who sold Joseph into slavery down in Egypt? Well, of course, his brother sold him to somebody. To whom did his brother sell him? The Midianites. This is Jethro. We've already seen Jethro appear before. We saw him back in chapter 4. We've seen the engagement between Moses and Jethro. Moses, you'll remember, is away from his people in Egypt because he has 
murdered someone and he's fled in fear of his own life and Moses leaves Egypt and goes somewhere down into this Sinai Peninsula and engages with the Midianites. In fact, he will marry Jethro's daughter, Zipporah, a Midianite herself. Now, we've not heard much about Moses' family in some time, have we? In fact, since chapter 4, you've not heard a word about Zipporah or Moses' two sons. The text has been completely silent concerning their whereabouts or what is taking place with them. And so we come to this text of Scripture here in chapter 18, verse 1, and the Bible reads these words. Jethro... The priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law. Now, there's a lot that's been communicated there. We already know that Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. The text is reminding us that again. In fact, the text in all of chapter 18 is going to remind us numerous times of who Jethro is. But Jethro is still a Midianite priest. At this point in our narrative, when Jethro comes to Moses, Jethro is still part of a pagan, idolatrous group of people. So this pagan priest comes to Moses, and look what the Bible says. He heard all that God had done done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now the Bible doesn't tell us here in verse 1 how Jethro has heard this narrative. It doesn't give us a revelation as to how the narrative of what is taking place has, has spread, but undoubtedly this narrative of God's saving act on behalf of the nation of Israel is spreading to all of these other people groups and for sure to these pagan people, the Midianites. Verse 2, now Jethro, here we get it again, Moses' father-in-law had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he had encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I Your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all that the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So here it is. 
Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, a Midianite priest. He's, we don't know, the priest of the Midianites or one of the priests of the Midianites, but he's a pagan priest from this collection of people, and he is doing a gracious thing. He's doing a kind act for Moses and his family. We don't know when Moses' family left him. Perhaps after Moses and the Israelites come out of Egypt, maybe it was at that time before they began this journey through the wilderness. Once they get into the wilderness, perhaps at that time Moses directed his, his daughter. She was ready for vacation. She had had enough of the Egyptians. She was missing her father, and Moses did a kind thing and said, okay, honey, go back and see your daddy and spend time with your family. Whatever the case or whenever it happened, we know for a fact that Moses' family has been away from him for a period of time and undoubtedly in the recounting of this text of Scripture has taken the narrative of God's marvelous acts back to Jethro, and he has shared it with him. But notice how this text unfolds. Right here in the middle, or at the beginning of this narrative of the text of Scripture, Moses is going to weave into the narrative the name of his sons. We've already seen the names of his sons, but he's going to give us the meaning of the narrative of his sons, and the meaning of this narrative of his sons is going to paint a picture for us of what is to come. Did you notice the name of the first son? His name, the Bible tells us, is Gershom in verse 3. For all of you parents who have, are expecting children, if you're looking for a name, I submit to you a wonderful biblical name, Gershom. No one will know how to spell it, right? What's the meaning of Gershom's name? I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And then notice he gives us in verse 4 the name of his second son, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Now, what is Moses doing right here at the beginning of this narrative with the recounting of the name of his two sons and the giving of their meaning? Moses is pointing us forward in the narrative. Moses is reminding us in the recounting of the naming of these two sons exactly what God has been up to from the very beginning of this narrative with Moses and the nation of Israel. Moses is reminding us of what God's intended purpose is for all people. See, the fact of the matter is, friend, it's not only the nation of Israel and Moses who have been a foreigner in a foreign land. So it is true in one sense of each of us. This narrative is a, is a story of, 
an image of a group of people who are down in slavery. They've been captivated by this group of people, and they are on a journey, and we've already seen that narrative of how just like the nation of Israel was held in slavery, so too are each of us apart from the kindness and the goodness of God Captives, foreigners, people enslaved in our own sin. But notice the naming of the second son, Eliezer. God is my help. In the middle of Israel's enslavement, in the middle of the nation of Israel being captives to a foreign pagan group of people, in the middle of Israel being away from her God. There, in that moment, is where we see God do what God does best. God is a saving God. God is a God who is a helper toward his people. And what does God do for the nation of Israel? He helps them in their greatest need. He helps them come out of slavery. And friend, at the beginning this narrative, Moses weaves in to the text of Scripture the good news of what God does for people. And let's see how this good news, how, how this recounting of this narrative of a foreigner and a God who helps is fleshed out in the rest of this story. With the gospel being communicated, we now see Moses extending a sense of hospitality to his father-in-law. Moses is told that his father-in-law is indeed coming to see him along with his wife and his two children. The father-in-law has communicated that. And notice what Moses does in verse 7. Moses gets up out of his tent. Now, you remember who Moses is, right? Moses is the leader of the people of God. He is, in some ways, king over the nation of Israel. And what would you expect? The king to get up out of his palace and to go see someone? Or for someone to come into the king's palace to see him? Moses images for us what God's people should be toward others, hospitable. Moses extends a sense of kindness and graciousness toward his father-in-law, and the Bible says that he got up out of his tent and he went to greet and to meet his father-in-law and ultimately his wife and their two children. But notice the focus of the text of Scripture is not upon Zipporah, Gershom, and Eliezer. It is upon Jethro. And look what Moses does, verse 8. I want you to see the recounting of these four truths that Moses gives to his father-in-law, Jethro. Verse 8, then Moses told his father-in-law 
all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh. Wouldn't you love to have been in that tent on that day, friend? Wouldn't you love to have been seated there and listened to Moses as he gives a firsthand account to Jethro, his pagan father-in-law, of all that God had accomplished toward whom? Notice what the text of Scripture says. To Pharaoh. In other words, the first thing that Moses is communicating to his father-in-law is that God has reigned supreme. God has defeated the pagan Pharaoh. He recounts, as you might imagine, that first narrative of going to Pharaoh and saying, if you don't let my people go, this river Euphrates, uh, this river Nile here, is going to turn into blood. And can't you imagine as he's, as he's telling his father-in-law, but, but Jethro, you know, Pharaoh, he, he didn't believe in God. He didn't believe the testimony of what God was going to do, and he, he didn't listen to me, Jethro. I hated to do it. I knew the implications that it would be for the nation of, of Israel, but I obeyed God, and I struck that Nile, and immediately God turned that Nile into red, to blood. Can you imagine him telling the story of when God rained down hell from heaven? And the build-up to that narrative of all the things Pharaoh didn't listen to. And Jethro, I had to go again. I had to go before Pharaoh again. And this time, I told him that if he didn't let God's people go, hell from heaven was going to rain down. Jethro, he didn't listen to God's statement of judgment there either. And it destroyed the economic viability of Egypt. It killed some of their people. It, it killed some of their animals that didn't listen to the warning from God. Jethro, I didn't want to do that either. And the buildup to that Passover night when God had told Moses, and by extension the nation of Israel, if you want to live, you make a sacrifice and place that blood over your doorpost in every home where that, door, where that blood is not present, the death angel is going to come through and slaughter all of the firstborn. Jethro, I, I thought after all of these other experiences that Pharaoh would at least listen at this moment. Jethro, you should have heard the cries of the families as we were fleeing, as they realized their firstborn was dead. Moses recounts to Jethro, notice what the text says, all that God had done to Pharaoh. He recounts God's judgment against Pharaoh's rebellion. Notice secondly, it's not only Pharaoh who lived in rebellion against God, 
You see what the text of Scripture says? He not only recounted that rebellion of, of what God, uh, that judgment against Pharaoh, but he also recounted what God had also done to the Egyptians. For God's acts were not only directed toward Pharaoh while they were directed toward Pharaoh. They were also directed toward the Egyptian people. What takes place and Moses and the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt at the Red Sea is God's judgment, not only against Pharaoh, but against all of Egypt. The Bible tells us that the military drowned at the bottom of the Red Sea. Can you imagine Moses as he recounted that story to Jethro? As he stood on this side of the Sinai Peninsula looking back over into Egypt, and there at the Red Sea, saw the waters collapse on top of all those pagan Egyptians following the orders of Pharaoh. Uh, Secondly, notice what he says. He recounted all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. So all of this has taken place for Israel's sake. Number three, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way. Now think about that for a moment. Moses is not shying away from the difficulty of what has taken place in the narrative of God's dealing with his people. As Moses is recounting this story, Perhaps Moses might be prone to tell Pharaoh all of the po- tell Jethro all of the positive things God was doing. But the Bible tells us that Moses does not seek to eliminate in the hearing of Jethro the difficulty and the struggle that the people of God had even as they were walking by faith with the Lord. Now, you can imagine, perhaps, that Jethro is telling to Moses that time when Brother Billy and Sister Susie came to his tent to complain that they didn't have any water. Can you imagine that? Recounting? We all know uh, Sister Susie or Brother Billy in our lives, right? Just like to tell you everything negative that's happen- happening. Give you all the complaints of everything that's, that's going wrong, right? Uh, Moses is, is telling us in this narrative, I've not hid any of the struggles of God's people. Number three, And then notice number four, and how the Lord had delivered them. So notice what Moses is doing for us. Moses is imaging for you and me how we should be good, gospeling people. Moses is imaging for you and me of how we should tell the testimony of what God has done on our behalf. 
Moses is showing us an example of what it looks like in declaring the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses begins with the right narrative, God's judgment against sinners. We will never understand the good news of God's saving work if we do not understand the bad news that we are sinners in rebellion against a holy and righteous good God. And Moses tells a story to Jethro beginning with that narrative of how rebellious Israel, uh, how rebellious Egypt and Pharaoh really are. He tells about God's judgment against sin. Then as Moses tells about that judgment against sin, he doesn't seek to hide the fact of the difficulty the nation of Israel has faced as they journey with the Lord in obedience. Now let me just take a moment as an aside to recount for a second Any narrative of the gospel of Christ that seeks to say to you and me that if you come to God and walk with him by faith, you will not face any trouble is a lie. Is not the recounting of the text of Scripture or of God's people in the text of Scripture in relationship with God. Moses is not afraid to share with Pharaoh the struggle the nation of Israel has had in relationship with God. Why? Because my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is not about what I have done or who I am or ultimately how faithful I can or cannot be. It's a story of what God has done. And even in, the moment, in those moments of great difficulty and struggle, God is always at work. God is always at work accomplishing his purposes. Notice what the text of Scripture says. He told them all that the Lord had done toward Pharaoh and the Egyptian for whose sake? Israel's sake. Was God at work down in Egypt in all of that difficulty only then for Israel's sake? Or when Israel comes up out of Egypt and into the wilderness, was God still at work even through those difficulties for Israel's sake? The answer is yes. And notice how Moses concludes the narrative. He tells them of God's saving acts. He tells his father-in-law exactly what God has accomplished in bringing about redemption, salvation for the nation of Israel. My friends, this is a beautiful example of how you and I can share our testimonies with various peoples around us who do not believe in the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what Moses does first. He extends hospitality. He gets up out of his tent and he he goes outside to to greet and to meet Jethro. And then the Bible says they brought Jethro back into his tent. He brought him back into his, his home. He showed him kindness. Friends, one of the greatest tools God has given his people in proclaiming the gospel is your home. 
Your home ought to be a center for gospel proclamation. God has placed you in a community. He's given you a sphere of influence that is different from everybody else in this room, unless your neighbors. He's given every one of us a tent, if you will. The question for you and me is, have we gone outside of that tent with the hospitality and the kindness and the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ and shared the testimony of how God has changed our lives? How are you modeling the example of Moses and communicating the gospel to those around you? And look at what happens when Moses proclaims the gospel to pagan Jethro. Jethro, the Bible says, verse 9, rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. This pagan is able to recognize that God has brought about salvation. Verse 10, and Jethro said, look at Jethro's confession. Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people and Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. See, friends, the way God has designed from the very beginning for people to come to faith in Christ, to come to faith in God, to believe is by the obedience of God's people in declaring the gospel of Christ. We hear the Apostle Paul as he writes in the book of Romans, faith comes by how? Hearing. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. See, friends, the narrative began, as I showed you, the recounting of Moses' two sons' names, that was intended to point us toward what this text of Scripture is showing us. The text of Scripture showed us in chapter 17 the negative of what happens when one rejects God's sovereign reign. When one rejects God's sovereign reign, they will experience the judgment of God that the Bible says leads to death. The Melekites experienced the judgment of God that led to death. But friends, look what Moses is showing us. Look what Moses is showing us happens in the heart and the life of one who believes in the testimony of what God is doing <coughs> and the way in which God is at work in the world. 
Moses, as a faithful follower of God, recounts the good news, and Jethro hears it, he makes a confession of faith, and he joins Moses and Aaron and the nation of Israel in sacrificing, in worship to the one true living God. You know what Moses is showing us, friends? Moses is showing us in the narrative of Jethro, his father-in-law, what God's intended purpose is for all peoples. If you remember back in Exodus chapter 9, this was not the first recounting. We'd have to go back to chapter 4, but I don't want to give you the 10 times that it happens. If you'll just quickly go back with me to chapter 9. And in chapter 9, we hear this recounting of Moses to Pharaoh in verse 14, chapter 9, verse 14. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, and on your servants, and on your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all earth. Why was God working the way he was against the Egyptians? Why was God working the way he was against Pharaoh? He tells us in chapter 9, verse 14, God is at work so that you may know how great and glorious he truly is. Look at verse 16. But for this purpose I raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God raised Pharaoh up to stand in opposition to God himself so that God's great and glorious name might be proclaimed in all of the earth. And look what is happening in Exodus chapter 18. The fulfillment of God's desire. Jethro, a pagan, a pagan priest is hearing the good news of what God is doing. And guess what he's doing? He is fulfilling this prophetic promise. He is part of that all people narrative that God has given. Chapter 10, verse 2. <coughs> and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptian and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. God wants the Pharaoh to know. He wants the Egyptians to know. He wants all people to know. He wants the nation of Israel to know. And chapter 14 recounts for us twice in this passage of Scripture this same narrative of God's desire that these people may know. Look at Chapter 14, verse 4, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and all the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Moses is showing us that God's purpose and redemption is being carried out. And friends, this is exactly what happens when we come to the New Testament. This is exactly what the early believers in the Lord Jesus Christ would do as they would stand, as Peter would stand on the day of Pentecost and recount the narrative of God's working among his people. And what do we see happening at the end of that narrative? How many people came to faith in Christ? 3,000. And Peter, the Bible tells us, 
in Acts chapter 9, proclaims the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And listen how he does this in summary fashion. Chapter 10, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is acceptable to him. As for the world that sent as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, for he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as a witness who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because of the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. See, friends, what Moses does in Exodus chapter 18, is what the early church does throughout the book of Acts, is what the church should be doing today. Rightly proclaiming the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. May I ask you a question this morning? To whom are you currently at this moment being a Moses toward? To whom are you at this moment actively, intentionally seeking to share the gospel with? Which one of your neighbors have you invited over in the last few weeks or have plans in the next coming few weeks to invite over to use your tent as a sphere of influence to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, church, God has given you and me all that is necessary, all the tools, all the resources to be good, gospel-proclaiming people, making much of Christ so that those who do not believe might hear and in hearing believe and have their lives radically changed for the cause of Christ. See, friends, I propose to you this morning that the people in our culture today aren't really all that different than what they were in the time of Moses. 
we still live in a pagan, idolatrous culture. And for too many of us as Christians, we have retreated from culture and we're huddled up in the context and inside our church buildings. And while we're here, we're fearful and we're concerned and we're worried and we like together and talk about all of these things. And the one thing we never talk about is the one means that God has given us to change a pagan culture into a Christian culture, and that is the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you leave this building today? Will you leave this place of worship today? And will you purpose in your heart to be a Moses to someone this week? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your gospel. A gospel narrative that has transformed and changed our lives. We thank you for the faithful example of Moses and and Peter. We thank you, God, for the faithful example of men and women in the life of this church. Lord, would you raise up a generation of Moseses in the life of Woodlawn Baptist? Would you raise up a Moses in my life, Lord? Would you give me that spirit? Would you grant that to every person in this room, we pray, in Jesus' name. Would you take a few moments, friend, where you're seated?